Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org/nach or on my website ericlevy.com under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy. I'm pleased to bring to you Kohelet Chapter Two, continuing from the last chapter where Kohelet told us that pursuing answers to the world, especially its absurdities, through the process of amassing chokhmah and wisdom. Uh, was insufficient, that is, in itself was absurd, since it doesn't really solve the problem of letting you understand everything that happens in the world. So now he says, Amarti ani bilibi, I said in my head, um, as I mentioned in the previous chapter, the word ra'ad doesn't just mean to see, but it's one of the technical terms that uh, Kohelet uses to describe his techniques of acquiring and applying chokhmah. We would call it a scientific process, a philosoph- philosophical pro- process. I mentioned that the word ra'iti probably means to observe, and therefore I think the word amarti means I propose, I would offer the following, I would say the following. And the proposal, you'll notice, is from the ani, the I, to the lev, to the mind. The heart was considered the source of thinking. So essentially, Kohelet's ego, not in the egotistical sense, but the I, is asking permission from the intellect to allow the following proposal. This focus on the ego, the self, is obvious by the use of I, 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 ani, 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 and me, 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 that began with the speech, um, this very speech in chapter 1, verse 12, when he said, ani, kohelet, hayiti, and he uses the word vanatati, and raiti, vahosaf, and then vidibarti, ani, imlibi, all of this repetition of, of me, and for me, and I. Um, in chapter two, in fact, uh, which continues this this discourse, this dissertation, the word ani is used ten times in the twenty-four sentences, and the word li for me or for myself is used another ten times. In addition to this, you have to add on all the verbs that that end with the word e. I did this, I made that. I should note that the word li essentially is only used in uh, this chapter in the book of Kohelet, so that really points out that this focus on the ego, what I think I need to do for myself is a distinctive character of this uh, of this chapter. Essentially, what Kohel is proposing is that focusing on one's own self and the maximization the, the, uh, of, of personal experience can give him an understanding of everything that goes on under the heavens, which is the goal. So he promises, L'chana, ni amarti libi, l'chana anasacha v'simcha ur'eivitov hinei gam hu havel. Allow me to go pour it out in happiness. We'll we'll see what that means. And see the tov, the good. But behold, that too is Havel. What he means by pouring it out is pouring wine out um, and the accompanying revelry that goes along with drinking and partying. The tov that he talks about, anascha b'simcha u're'evetov, and see the good, he commands his, uh, himself, um, that's probably very similar to the way it's used in Miguel at Esther, Ketov Lev HaMelech Bayayin, as uh, the king's heart became uh, good with wine, meaning uh, not dead drunk, but uh, certainly in a state of feeling very, very good. Uh, perhaps Kohelet's assumption is that if he feels good about everything, then all the absurdities of life, of what he sees, won't bother him. Remember, I suggested in the last chapter that it was not all in the world that was Hevel, although that was also Hevel and absurd. It was the compulsion that man needs to know everything, to scratch every itch. 
um, that itself is absurd and vexing. Um, and note that the words lecha and anasacha here have the ah suffix, which is called the cohortative, which means he's requesting from himself. Kohelet is asking permission from his own lave, from his own heart, his intellect, um, because the intellect essentially is about to be watered down by the happiness and the revelry of uh, of drinking. Unfortunately, he comes to the opposite conclusion. About sechok, meaning laughter, the tzadi and the samich and the sin, sorry, often interchange. Um, about sechok, which is the kind of laughter that you get from drinking, I, I say, or I concluded, it is inane and happiness, meaning the kind of happiness born out of revelry. What does it accomplish? The word meholal here means foolish or inane, but the form mahul actually is used to describe watering down uh, wine, which was often and concentrate, and one would mix water uh, into it, mahul bamayim, to make it drinkable. So as the wine becomes watered down and more drinkable, the mind becomes watered down and less functional. It's a beautiful uh, image and a very cute pun as well. Tarti vilibi limshoch bayayin epsari vilibi noheg bechokhmah vileachoz besichlut ad asher ere ezetov livne adam asher yasu tach rashamayim a very long verse, and, uh, and, and therefore the syntax is a little complicated. Um, it doesn't, now the word tarti, I, I don't think means, um, like to, latour means to scout out with my heart. Tarti blibi, I use my heart to scout out things. Uh, specifically to attract my flesh with wine. That doesn't really make sense because right afterwards it says, My lave, my mind, drove itself, conducted itself uh, using wisdom. So it can't both pull at wine and then contradict itself by holding on to intelligence. Um, therefore, I think the word Latour, uh, it, it may be similar to how it's used in some cases in Tanakh, which means to scout out or to conquer a city. That's the sense with the Meraglim, who were supposed to Latour to Aretz, specifically to scout out the city of Hebron and to conquer it. And it's also much more clear in the uh, book of Judges, chapter 1, where it says, Vayatiru veit Yosef bivetel. They scouted out against Beitel. Notice that word, Tarti bilibi, therefore, can mean I scouted out against my heart. The word Vayatiru and Vayaturu are essentially the same for grammatical reasons that I won't uh, get into right now, because if I did, uh, you would all go to sleep and I would probably fall asleep as well. Anyway, so it seems that Kohelet is saying that he wrestled with his better judgment. He convinced his his mind to to go with the drinking because his mind wasn't really into the idea. His intellect did not like the idea. Although what happened was his mind held on strong. No heg It held on to knowledge. He also that's kind of a parenthesis. So. What that means is that not only did he try to convince his mind to limshoch bayayin, he also tried le'echoz b'sichlut, to gather on or to grab on to foolishness, but his mind um, conducted itself with intelligence. Now, what was the goal? Ad asher tov adam Until I could evaluate what is good that human beings should be doing under the heavens for the finite, the limited years of their lives, which means I need to get drunk and, and, and just have a good time because I need to see maybe that's what people really need to be doing with their life and moreover maybe it'll make me feel really good about life so that I won't start wondering about all the negative things the conclusion however of course he gave in the previous verse which he says that uh, mindless revelry is foolishness it's inanity has no benefit whatsoever
Um, and therefore, having failed at uh, making himself feel good, so they didn't have to worry about all of life's problems, and 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 life would seem all rosy through a rosy pair of wine-filled glasses. Um, the I, the me of Kohelet stays, but it turns to the next egocentric behavior, which is not drinking, but it is building wealth. Now, not wealth for wealth's sake, I, I think, as you read these coming verses, but but he's talking about amassing beautiful. It's not like a guy who just counts his coins. He is amassing beautiful and sensuous things. And I specifically mean sensuous and not sensual. He's not talking about things that are lascivious or lewd in what, in what he's about to describe. He's talking about, um, something, sensuous means something which inundates the senses. It gives all of the senses the satisfaction that, that, uh, that they deserve, that they desire. He galti masai Baniti li batim natati li krabim, uh, kramim. I, I made my endeavors, endeavors great, probably both quantitatively and qualitatively. I built houses for myself. Note the word li here, which is unnecessary, which means it's all about me. I planted vineyards for myself. Asiti li ganotu fardesim vinatati bahem eats kolperi. I cultivated gardens and orchards for myself and I planted all kinds of fruit trees. In them, um, a few notes on this verse, uh, since it has the very important word pardes. The word pardes means um, a, a, an orchard in Persian, which then became the English word paradise, pardes, paradise, and it actually was used in the Greek translation of the Bible to describe the Garden of Eden as a paradise. Telushkin uh, wrote in his famous, uh, his pretty popular book on Jewish literacy, um, he wrote about this incorrectly. He cited that this is a Persian word, and therefore he said it's an, an anachronism, like having a wristwatch show up in a Shakespeare play. And based on that, he proves that these wisdoms cannot date back to Solomon. Now, while I agree that the final authorship of the book may have been in exilic or post-exilic times, when the Persian Empire was ascendant and they would have, uh, and the word pardes definitely would have been in the vocabulary, our tradition has these wisdoms uh, of Kohelet coming from Solomon. And there's no reason to doubt this, and many reasons to support it. As we'll see, a lot of these descriptions will seem very Solomon-like. And most importantly, to really sort of, you know, to point out where Telushkin is wrong, a wristwatch in a Shakespeare play is an anachronism, because wristwatches weren't invented in the 1600s in England. The word pardes, however, was invented and was in use in Solomon's time, in 950 BCE. The only question is whether that Persian word, which was being used in Persia some hundreds of miles away from Israel, was known to Solomon. Um, certainly that's a long distance in those days, but on the other hand, Solomon's Jerusalem is described in the Book of Kings as being a major economic hub, Money and spices and all kinds of goods flowed into it. So it's certainly possible that the word pardes was known to Solomon in the year 950 BC. And in any event, there's no way that it's an anachronism. Um, don't forget, of course, that Chizkiyahu is, is, and his court in the 700s BC and the 600s BC is, is described as having edited the book. So certainly they would have wind of Persian words like pardes. Is it probable that Solomon knew the word pardes? Uh, it's possible, but is it possible? Is, is it probable? Well, you have to ask a professor of linguistics and ancient Near Eastern trade routes, and, and even he or she can only make a conjecture. But is it an anachronism? In no way. And Talishkin's book is a very good book on Jewish literacy, but the chapter on Kohelet is not good scholarship. And for this reason, as well as other things he mentions in that book about Kohelet, I would strongly caution against using uh, uh, Tolishkin as a guide to this book. Anyway, getting back to Kohelet, 
I made water pools for myself in order to irrigate forests, vegetation, and trees for them. Like in modern Israel, they use that drip technology. Now, all of this wealth and all of this ecological know-how matches the description of Solomon in the book of 1 Kings. Uh, chapter 5, verse 13 reads, Vayidaber al ha'itzim now this is commonly misunderstood to mean that he could speak to all of those things. And there's certainly Midrashic literature that says that Solomon could speak with animals. But what this verse means, the pshat of this verse, is that he was an authority on these things. That he lectured and gave dissertations and taught about them. Anyway, getting back to our chapter, verse 7. Kaniti I acquired male and female servants. I had for myself those who were who dwelled in my house, which means I had a lot of people who permanently took up residence in my house, an indication of riches and, and wealth and knowledge and culture. Moreover, I had many animal holdings, cattle and flocks for myself, more than any who existed before me in Jerusalem. So he doesn't just mean previous kings. He means he was richer than any man that lived in that ancient, very ancient city. Kanasti li gam kesef v'zahav u'skulat melachim v'hamadinot asiti li sharim v'sharot v'ta'an I also amassed silver and gold and the treasures of kings and great nations for all for myself. I appointed or perhaps trained male and female singers for myself, all the luxuries of the people, the Shida and the Shidot. Now it's not clear what Shida and Shidot mean because it's the only place it shows up in Tanakh. Chazal used the word for chest, so maybe it's a reference to two types of treasure chests, which were uh, perhaps very distinctive and, uh, in their uh, in their construction. And I became greater and greater, more than any other before me in Jerusalem, even my chokhmah, my knowledge and my wisdom remained with me. Meaning, that is none of what I did, as opposed to the wine where I drank and I wiped my, wine, my mind out, so that was unacceptable. I kept my head, and I was able to feed my senses at the same time without costing me my intelligence. Or it could mean that I used my intelligence to amass all this wealth and beauty, but I kind of like the first one because then it creates a, a juxtaposition against the drinking, which ruined the mind as opposed to this, which not only was made possible with the mind, but, but uh, allowed one's intelligence to remain. In fact, everything my eyes desired, I did not hold back from them, which means I saw something in the store and I bought it. I did not withhold any pleasure from my lave, which means here I think not intelligence, but senses, myself. Indeed, my lave was pleased from all my efforts. This was my portion, my lot. That word chalik is going to be very important. We're going to see that a lot in this book, which I gained from all of my efforts. Now, the word amal, however, is a negative word. It means toil more than efforts. So it foreshadows the failure of this plan number two. Remember, plan number one was feeling good with wine. It foreshadows a sense that even though he was able to keep his intellect and feed every sense for himself, that this plan will fail as well. So, uh, I should note, by the way, that Rashi kind of turns this a little bit upside down. He says, Vizah Yachal Kimakol Amali is, Zem means this 
it's that it's biographical. Solomon was, according to Chazal, kicked out based on this verse. He was kicked out from his kingdom, which is sort of true. At the end of his life, his kingdom splits away. Although they have a, a in the in the Gemara, they have a much more fantastical story. So he says, for all of these things that I got, and that I got, and that I got, and all of the wealth that's described in chapter ten and eleven of of the Book of Kings, Zeh, which means my failure, Hayakal Kimakolamale. The Pshat is, however, Vizeh, and all of these things were my chalik from all the things that I that I got. So here comes essentially the next verse, the intellectual, the scholar, the open minded assessor of his own plans, and essentially what he does is he rejects that which he uh that which he planned. And the hint, the foreshadow, was the fact that he called his plans an Amal. But I myself analyzed all of my endeavors, that which I, which I had done with my own hands, and all the toil that I toiled to do, and toil means not only the work, but the product of the work, the chilek, and behold, it is all fleeting, or it is perhaps it means it's all absurd. It's all it all dissipates. It's all worthless. It is like desiring the wind, like trying to capture the wind, because there is no profit. Because there is no profit under the sun. Which, if you remember, I mentioned that the phrase Takarashamesh in chapter one is a metaphor for the days that one has to live. So the meaning I think here is the cha- same as in chapter one. You can't take it with you. That's what he said in verse three of chapter one. In chapter one, Kohelet asserted that all the endless compulsive pursuit to understand everything in the world was absurd. So after trying the bottle, he occupies himself with amassing wealth and keeping his senses full and busy and pleased. But since you can't take it all with you, that's also like chasing the wind. Now, this next verse is very difficult. It's difficult because it's not clear what the word melech is standing in for. Um, it's one possibility is that the word melech may be a metaphor for God, in which case the sense of this verse is, I turn to examine all the things that I did. That is the amassing of chokhmah, b'holilut, v'sichlut, wine, wisdom, and foolish things. The foolish things seem to refer to the amassing of the senses. So he talks about plan A, plan B, and plan C. Plan A in the previous chapter was to try to understand everything, and that was Hevel. The second thing was the wine, try to make everything seem good, and that was Hevel. And the third thing is trying to amass all of this wealth, and that's Hevel also. So, I turn to examine all of these things which I amassed, but what can man do to follow God, considering everything he, God, has done? What that means is, uh, you know, it doesn't mean follow God in a chronological sense, although that too, but it means after God is able to do all of these vast and wonderful things, then what man does in comparison is really quite pitiful. That is, in what way can man compare himself? In what way can he follow uh, God? Sort of like a great singer who then is followed. Anybody who follows that singer is considered to be a bad, you know, a bad at their job because you simply can't compare with the, with the star. Another possibility is that the word Melech here is self, he's self Self-referential, he means himself, King Kohelet. Um, and the sense may be, since you can't take it with you, and there are no leftovers for yourself I- I- after you get the life that you get in this world, then what kind of Adam Melech? What kind of successor will I have? That is, he's not worried about what can I do following the King God, but let's assume that everything I did was wonderful. All of this massing of Chachma and all of this Holy Lut and Sichlut, but what kind of successor I have? That is, eventually I'm going to die. 
and somebody else is going to take over. So I tried everything. I tried wisdom and teaching him wisdom. I tried revelry and teaching him revelry. I tried wealth and physical satisfaction and, and, and teaching him physical satisfactions. But if the second translation is correct, if what I'm saying is correct, then that kind of flows nicely into the next verse. Verse 12. So I observed for myself that chokhmah, that is, as I looked at these three things and which is the best one to give to my successor, chokhmah is more profitable for the sake of keeping everything that king number one has acquired in the hands of king number two, that chokhmah is more profitable than foolishness in much the same way that light is more beneficial than darkness. Why? Because the wise man, the scholar, the person who focuses on intelligence and wisdom, he has eyes in his head. Uh, it's very similar to, of course, the modern English expression, eyes in one's head. But the fool walks in darkness, which means, I guess, he or his successor will wind up throwing it all away because he can't see anything uh, coming because he no- understands nothing. But then, and here again, Kohelet gives it an idea, and then he rejects it, this intellectual pursuit of knowledge. But then I came to understand, that the same thing happens to both of them, the wise man and the fool. And what is that equalizer? Kohelet will soon tell us. So I said to myself that what happens to the fool is exactly what happens to me. That is, me having attempted to acquire all this wisdom. So why should I have made myself? Why did I spend all that time training in knowledge and wisdom? And then I said to myself, Gam Zehavel, even this is absurd, which means even my attempt to amass wisdom is absurd. And why is it absurd? Because along with the fool, the wise man will not leave behind a memory of himself forever. Because in the days that come, everything will be forgotten. And then he cries out, Ich, oh, how? How is it that the wise man must die just like the fool? Now, perhaps Kohelet's point is that the knowledge of the wise man is needed. So how is it that God or that, that, that the world allows them both to die in the same way when the value of the wise man is so important for the next generation, for the successors? Or perhaps you means since you can't take knowledge with you any more than you can take physical profits, then what's the point of working uh, working at it at all? And if I'm correct, and we're still talking about this idea of you know being having a successor to the king, then what's the point of amassing so much knowledge that the successor won't even remember anything that you came to know? There's a cool expression that says this guy knew more about uh, uh, banking than uh, this. Guy, no, it's uh, an expert in the field. Sometimes they say for a guy who's working many years in the field, they say this guy. I forgot more about the field than other guys will ever even learn in their entire life. But not only does that person forget what he knows, but the next generation certainly doesn't remember, and therefore they have to start it all over again. Or And they're not guaranteed to keep everything that the first person uh, amassed, neither knowledge nor, nor physical goods.
So for one or all of these reasons, depending on how you go with translations, Kohelet falls into despair. Verse 17. So I despised life because for me it is a terrible thing what will happen under the sun, which means, as I mentioned, meaning what happens in the span of a human lifetime, because everything dissipates, and therefore it is like trying to capture or chase, or it's like desiring the wind. And I despise all of my toil, including the results of my toil, that I toil which means in my lifetime, since I have to leave it to the person who comes after me. And now I think we return very clearly to the idea that what's bothering Kohelet is succession, is that after death, succession is 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 hevel. It's absurd and will wind up dissipating and being a failure. What use is it worrying how to raise and train one successor, Koala is saying, in wisdom or revelry or foolish pursuits, when in the end all of those efforts are gone? And who can guarantee that the successor will begin, will, 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 will succeed? Since, who can know whether he will be wise, intelligent, or whether he'll be a fool? And, and either way, and, and nonetheless, he gains control over all the toil, all the things that I worked for, and all the things that I applied my intelligence to when I was alive. This is also useless or absurd. And this is the worry, if you, you know, to add my own thoughts here, this is the worry of every CEO, every uh, chief executive officer who starts his own company and makes it big and takes it public, uh, who then has to retire and gives his company to someone who re- looked really good on paper or gives it to one of his children who he thought or hoped that might be able to continue running the business successfully. But the owner is the one with the knowledge and the know-how of the business. And to use those those uh, uh, plans of, Sal, uh, of Kohelet, he's the one who knows how to wine and dine the customers. And he knows how to put on mahogany onto the waiting area so that people are very impressed when they walk into the office. But in the end, the next guy comes in and he blows it. He blows a lifetime of work which dissipates into the mist. And it happens over and over in the business world. If a person allows himself to think like that, as Kohelet is allowing himself to do here, then that person despairs completely. That person would never start, you'd never have a person start a company in the first place if you had to worry after your death who would inherit it and, and, and squander away everything that you would earn. Not just the money, but the satisfaction of building a better mousetrap. In chapter 12, it says, in fact, that one who watches and watches the wind will never sow seeds, which means you're not supposed to spend all your time thinking about the end, because that causes you to freeze and despair. You're always wondering, the wind will come back and blow away the way of the seeds. And in chapter 1, the wind was described as spinning and spinning. Remember, sovev, sovev, halal, charuach, which fits in perfectly to the next verse 20, where Kohelet says, v'saboti ani, which means I spun around, I reevaluated, I changed my mind, which, which the meta, it brings in, by using the word sovev, it brings in the futility of watching the winds that erode everything until like the wind, the saboti anilia eshetli bi al amal shamal shemesh. When I reevaluated, I, I, I turned myself around and I caused my heart to despair of all of the hard work, all of the toil that I toiled, tachra shamesh. That is by allowing myself to think only about 
the probable failure after my lifetime in the hands of my successor. So that caused me to hate everything that I did in this lifetime as well. Because there are people who toil in chokhmah, that is with knowledge, and, and kisharon, with skill. And this is the cool part, before we finish this idea. Because if you notice, there's something redemptive here for Kohelet. The despair itself is redemptive. Why? Because Kohelet is still talking about himself. He is the Adam, but if you notice, he's not talking about himself, me, 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 me anymore. He's now referring to himself in the third person. He is looking at himself. The me and the I is being replaced with a person who is able to, to do objective observation. It's not all about me. I need to analyze this guy, who is me, but this guy, to see what's really going on. So this guy, for all his skilled and intelligent labor, his portion, his chilek, remember that word chilek above, is given over to one who put no effort into it whatsoever, this is also absurd, gamzehevel, and a terrible evil. Now, it is possible that Kohelet means this selfishly, meaning, well, why should why should another guy get it when I uh, did all the work and he sat around doing nothing? But I don't think that's what Kohelet means here. I think the sense here is a continuation in line with what I was describing previously. That is, the difference between someone who creates a company and someone who inherits a company is that if you don't earn something with your blood, your sweat, and your tears, then you're bound to squander it away because you just don't put the same value on it that the person who, who, who put all of his effort into it. And therefore, the word hove comes from um, the emptiness experience, the void. It, it's surely used negatively here as it is in the book of Job. The sense is, what good is it for man? Or less sarcastically, what is what a disaster it is for man. All that toil and all the desires of his heart or of his mind that he toiled for in his living days it's all so terrible. Why? Because all his days are filled with pain and anguish is his business. Even at night his mind cannot be at rest. This is all absurd. Or all of this work in the end is like vapor. It dissipates into nothingness because there's no guarantee. In fact, there's a good probability that the next person will waste it away. And therefore, somebody else gets my chalik and wastes it away then what good is all of that work that I did? Now, in the next verse, the uh, and of course, he doesn't say what I did, but this person did. And by looking at it objectively, he's able to make a better conclusion in the next verse. Now, the I and the me returns the next verse, but the attitude is completely different. The theories have changed, or he's played out his theories and his arguments, and he's come to the following conclusion. There is nothing better than for a man to eat and to drink and to allow himself to benefit from his toil. And this I also observed, that it is all from God. And this is really the first time that God is, is making an appearance. The, I, this is the first from Pusuk, if you will, uh, because it's the first time that 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 um, that Kohelet is, is not trying to solve his problems by looking only inward and at his own ego. Also, this is not an Epicurean stance. I mean, some scholars think this is Epicurean. A person should should eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. But I, I don't think that's the sense here. What he's saying is that if you think that everything you have is all about you, 
It's all because of you. The reason why you have everything is because of your own wonderfulness and greatness. Then it will destroy you. It will make you despair that you can't control it after your death. And we should all live to 120. But the bottom line is, eventually you go and you can't control something. But if a person, if you realize that the chilek, the lot, is not from you, but the chilek is miyad Elohim, that God gave it to you, then the issue of who's going to take it over, it, it maybe leads to concern and to forethought and to planning, but it doesn't lead to despair. That is, if one is satisfied by the things that one gets because one realizes that God helps give it to him, then it just doesn't cause the despair, nor does it cause the egotism of uh, uh, and self-involvement that we saw before. Now, this next verse, um, it's difficult to say what Kohelet means to prove or argue as a continuation of saying that enjoy life because everything is from God. But let's give it a try. For who eats and who gets pleasure, the word chush, who satisfies his senses, other than me, meaning, I think, more than me. Chutz means, in this case, more than me. Now, it would be wonderful if the last word said not me many, but mimenu, which in fact is what the Septuagint uh, translation uh, gives. The Septuagint is, of course, the Greek Bible that was written in the 3rd century, around the 3rd century BCE. In that case, it would be wonderful, because mimenu would mean God, and therefore the the, the sentence would mean um, who eats and who fills his senses, chutz mimenu, without God helping, which would be a perfect extension of the previous verse. However, if we... If we um, Stick with the Mimeni being Mimeni, which is the text that we have in front of us. So I think maybe the Eben Ezra might give us a clue of how to understand the, the, the verse. The sense may be, and I'm paraphrasing Eben Ezra, I'm not, I'm not quoting him exactly, I'm sort of adding on to him. Um, the sense may be appreciate that everything is from God. Why must you appreciate that everything is from God? Because if you look at me, who has more right to enjoy life than me? And yet I say that I told you in the last verse it's all from God. So I had the biggest reason to ignore God, because I, who has the right to enjoy life more than a king who has amassed wealth and has done all these wonderful things and has unsurpassed intelligence, so if I could say it's all from God, then you could say it's all from God also. Finally, the chapter and the dissertation ends with a very difficult verse. Ki adam shetov lefanav natan chokma v'dat v'simcha v'lachoten natan inyan le'esof lechnos Indeed, a man who puts good things before himself, meaning, as we shall see, he, he puts, uh, he puts, he does good things, he does righteous things, he lays it out good in front of him. This is the opposite of the word tov that was in the, pr- at the beginning of the chapter, which was talking about the good feeling that one gets from wine. Here we're talking about righteousness, as we will see. So for this person, God gives chokhmah, vadat, v'simcha. He gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. And also not the happiness and the revelry of wine, but the happiness, which is the opposite of the despair, which we saw before. But for the sinner, he, Natan, he, God, gave, gives the task of gathering and collecting, all for giving it, to give it to the one who is good before God. So this is the perfect theory of justice in this world. One who acts well, a righteous person who gives all kinds of wealth and pleasure and happiness. And who supplies it for them? The wicked person who God puts in a position to amass possessions only to have to give it over to the good person as a punishment for his own wickedness and as a reward for the other 
other person's righteousness. This is very akin to, to philosophies that we've seen in, the, in, in Tanakh. For instance, God spoke to Joshua and said that his conquering forces would dwell in houses that they didn't build and they would eat from vineyards that they didn't plant because the other people deserve the punishment and they and, and, and the Israelites deserve the, the, the pleasure, the reward. So the difficulty here is why does Kohelet not put a period right there? Why does he continue on with the following words and end off the chapter with the following words? Gamzeh Hevel, Urut Ruach. This too is absurd or transient, and it is like desiring the wind. So why does he end pessimistically? Um, perhaps he comes up with this theory that uh, the good always get good things happening to them, and the bad always have bad things happening to them, and they have to give over their their possessions to the good. But maybe when he looks around, he sees that it's Hevel. That it's it's absurd, uruut ruach, and it's you know trying to put your trying to say that that's an actual uh, uh, truth is like uh, trying to capture wind. I, I think what he's done is he's pushed himself into a corner. He's come to the conclusion that God gives you all benefits, and if God gives you all benefits, he must give good people benefits and take benefits away from bad people. And therefore, he sort of puts himself to a corner because when you look at the world, that's just absurd. It's just not true. And therefore, we'll see in the next chapter, that's the very issue that he will take up.